0: What is up, Cyber and Crypto fam? I hope everybody's having a good 2021 so far. I took most of 2020 off. I felt like there was just not a whole lot to say. Uh, And really, I had a lot of things going on too, just like everybody else, you know? So we won't get into all that, but I do want to kick off the new year with a podcast. Hopefully, I can get this thing back on a regular schedule. Uh, at least, you know, once a week if I can pull it off. So that's my goal for 2021 is to keep this thing going and and get it rolling again. And sorry for the hiatus there, but really felt like I needed to take the time and, you know, I had changes in life and work and everything else. So it makes it kind of tough sometimes, especially when you have new, you know, new things to deal with and different circumstances and all that kind of fun stuff. So, with that being said, there's a lot that's happened in the cyber world, and also in the crypto space. We're going to dive into a bunch of this stuff. I'm going to talk about some stuff that's a little bit old, but still very relevant, uh, like the SolarWinds hack, uh, but also some new stuff that's come out uh, recently. Ubiquity announced some pretty interesting stuff today. Uh, And by the way, today is January 11th of 2021, and this is episode 108 of the Cybersecurity and Cryptocurrency Podcast. I'm your host, Eric English. All the views and opinions expressed on this podcast are solely my opinions and do not reflect the opinions of my employer. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at CyberCryptoGuy. All right, with all that fun stuff out of the way. I'm sure we've all heard about the SolarWinds hack at this point and how much it's affected all kinds of different companies. Very, very big-name companies, too. Lots of Fortune 500 companies are in the list of companies that use SolarWinds products. It doesn't necessarily mean that they were all hacked or breached, but the list is huge. It goes outside of the Fortune 500, of course, as well and the the really the the scary part in my opinion at least is that it also goes into the government sector. So these Solarwinds products uh, were in the government sector quite a bit and of course Solarwind was Solarwinds was infiltrated and wow, I mean, you want to talk about a crazy crazy sequence of events, but that's that's probably the biggest supply chain attack I've ever seen or ever heard of Um, the fact that FireEye caught it is great Uh, however FireEye was also on the list of people that got hacked but for a company like FireEye to you know use this SolarWinds software and you know potentially they were infected for maybe even six months But not just FireEye. Lots and lots of government entities and, as I said, Fortune 500 companies. And I I think the fallout really hasn't even begun to take shape. You know, we hear about all this, you know, election hacking. I'm not going to get political, but what if, you know, what if (laughs) there was something with this SolarWinds breach and hack that did affect something with the elections or did affect... You know, who knows what else, right? So the scary part is how long these hackers had access. And we don't know exactly how many government networks or systems were compromised. We don't know how many companies were compromised because of this. It, it really, really, I don't think the fallout has, has even begun to take shape. Uh, and or people are just trying to figure out if they were even part of it. And maybe that's the big challenge is, you know, you don't know if you were a part of it. And it's hard to determine whether or not somebody actually accessed your network. And, yeah, if you don't have the right tools to detect it, maybe you have no idea. The SolarWinds product is called Orion Software. And that's what was used to infect all these, potentially infect all these various companies. Uh, if you deploy that Orion software on your network. And basically, this supply chain attack, I mean, this, goodness knows how many companies are affected by this, but definitely something all of us should really take a hard look at your third-party risk management. I mean, what can you do? Can you really predict this kind of thing? No, you can't. And it's... It's very scary, to say the least. And all you can do is is try to prepare for the worst and hope for the best more than anything. But this is part of the reason why outsourcing things or putting things in the cloud can have some very, very detrimental effects uh, on your network. You know, a lot of folks are moving to the cloud because it's cheaper, more efficient. You don't have to have a full-time... IT group managing all these servers and all that great stuff but it comes with a with a price sometimes you know uh this Orion software and from the looks of it you could have hosted this Orion product internally but if you downloaded this particular update that had the infected code in it that's how the Russians apparently allegedly was the Russians but that's how you could have been infected uh, by this Massive, massive breach. So the release dates of this software, if you haven't already seen it, the Orion update version twenty nineteen dot four through twenty twenty dot two dot one. Those were released between March of twenty twenty and June of twenty twenty. And as we know, people don't always update right away. People don't always get on the latest version right away. So I mean it could be that maybe the if you waited for, uh, how many versions would that be? I don't know, 10 versions or more? Uh, maybe you weren't affected by this. But I'm sure a lot of folks that use this product had done one of these updates during that time. and And we just found out about all of this in December. So you could have been running this software for who knows how long. Maybe you hadn't updated from the 2020.2.1 release. I mean, who knows, right? So very, very, very sophisticated attack. And I'm still waiting for more fallout. Microsoft came out and said that they were affected. And it only affected, on the Microsoft side, it only affected their a few particular licenses of Office 365 So Microsoft has E1 and E5 licenses and E3 licenses. But they also have, I believe they call it a Microsoft license. And that's more of an all-encompassing kind of license uh, where you get uh, a lot more products with it. And they were saying that that particular license was affected by uh, this particular hack. So... I think just about everybody uses microsoft you may not use that particular license of office 365 unless you're a big enterprise potentially but still i mean that's just what microsoft knows about so far and you know the list of other companies as i said is just it's so substantial and i'd be shocked if there's not a lot more fallout from this we haven't heard much though since this happened which is shocking to me but as I said, maybe people are still trying to wrap their heads around what happened. Maybe they don't even know it happened. Maybe they don't even they can't even go back that far to look. Maybe they don't store logs that far back. But I think we can all learn a lot from this. Uh the, the kind of the biggest takeaway that I got from this is this particular malware that they were able to install uh within this Orion product, it of course has to, you know phone home right to, to send information so the, the biggest takeaway I get from this is filtering of outbound traffic people oftentimes are so worried about inbound what do I do about the inbound side what do I do about you know all these foreign countries hitting my external firewall they're all trying to get in but they may already be in so how do you stop them from also going out? And it's it's not an easy thing to do, but there are plenty of kind of canned, I guess if you will, lists of of IP addresses and whatnot that you should block all rated as malicious, so you can you know, plug those into your firewall and tell your firewall to block anything outbound to those IP addresses. Uh, I'm sure other firewalls have, you know, kind of checkboxes, don't allow traffic to particular domains, and that's great too. However, I think you should also focus pretty heavily on the IP addresses as well, because it's probably unlikely that hackers would register a domain uh, just for their malware. And, you know, it just gives them one more way to be tracked. So they're probably just going to do it from a malicious IP address most likely so anyway and and you know the other hard part about that is it's a game of cat and mouse you know those ip addresses get updated constantly and you know you may never be protected but i still think that not only filtering by ip address outbound but also ports limit the the number of ports and particular services that can go outbound now of course you know you can have anything run over a particular port that you want you just have to program it that way but at least you're you know still limiting the exposure as best you can and then for whatever you do have left that is going outbound make sure you're monitoring it very well and you're logging it and you're trying to do your best to look for threats you know anything going overseas really should not even happen Um, geo blocking on the outbound side i think is really where this kind of thing could have been stopped. But the problem with these larger Fortune 500 companies, they're doing business all around the world. You may not be able to block outbound traffic to a Russian IP address, for example. You may not be able to block that. So that's where it gets tricky. So, But if you can block those, if you're just a U.S.-based company, you don't do business over there, and there's no reason for any internal IPs to be communicating outbound To any foreign IPs, now's your chance to go and start blocking that stuff. But also check the ports, block those ports as well that you're not using outbound, and just really try to limit the exposure there. Now on the third-party risk management side, I think about insurance coverages for things like this. So if you don't already have cyber insurance, you need to get it and make sure that this kind of stuff is covered in it. So there's a lot... To dive into there, those are just my my quick off the cuff thoughts about the whole thing, but definitely a huge, huge breach, and probably one of the biggest ones I've seen, especially third party uh, third party risk management side I mean that's just huge, and who knows who else <laughs> is affected or still is affected by this? There's just no telling. so protect yourself as best you can from those types of attacks and and hopefully you weren't affected by this. All right, I saw some other news about Ticketmaster. This was pretty interesting. I don't know if you saw this or not, but they had to pay a fine of 10 million bucks because they <laughs> they uh, basically hacked into a rival firm to try to put them out of business. <laughs> wow, I mean, talk about crazy. I mean, they only got fined 10 million, which to me is a little light. Um, especially if you hack a rival to see, I guess they were trying to see what kind of concerts they were putting on so they could put out some sort of better deal or something like that. I don't know, but wow, I thought that was pretty interesting. They had apparently some former employees of this rival firm working at Ticketmaster, and apparently these these other employees still had passwords and, and all kinds of stuff, <laughs> and they used it to their, I guess, to their advantage. And hacked into that rival, that rival business. But man, that's terrible. So shame, shame, shame. Ticketmaster. That was that was a crazy story though. Just to see, it's like a, a Hollywood kind of thing that you that you see in a movie. But very interesting stuff there. If you haven't seen that, I'll post that in the show notes. Some recent privacy news. Uh, this just came out a few a few minutes ago, um, about an hour ago, and apparently. Of course, there's a misconfigured Elasticsearch database owned by a company called Social Arcs, and it's exposing public and private information profile data for Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn users. Haven't we seen this before? <laughs> About a million times. Wow. Pretty bad stuff there. One more reason to never give Facebook your real information, or really anybody your real information. Because ultimately, it's going to be breached and, you know, it's going to be leaked on the internet somewhere. But apparently, this uh, social arcs company, they've, they had a similar breach in August, which affected 66 million LinkedIn users, 11.6 million Instagram accounts, and 81.5 million Facebook accounts. Total of 150 million accounts. <laughs> That's pretty bad, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Well, here they they're at it again. So, wow. Uh, I'm just kind of reading through the story now. Looks like uh, the researchers are still unsure why or how Social Arcs even has access to this kind of information in the first place. But who knows, right? They could have some sort of Facebook game or you know app that tells you what your horoscope is. I mean, who knows, right? These. Lovely things that people click on on Facebook, and of course, to to find out your horoscope, you have to share all your friends, you know, information, and you have to give it access to your friends list and all that fun stuff. So, and uh, that's how these apps, you know, get all this personal information. Whatever your friends can see about you, if one of those friends takes one of these quizzes that requests access to uh, their friends list, and <laughs> your friend has, you know, your friend can see a little bit more data than what's publicly available. Even if your profile is set to private, uh, your friends can still see your your data. Uh, and that's why if you do have a Facebook account, just set all that stuff to private. Delete the information altogether. Uh, don't even share that information with your friends. That way when they do take these quizzes and these quizzes do get access to their friends list, they won't be able to see all your personal information. All right, so moving on here. Ubiquiti, if you've never heard of Ubiquiti, they make some pretty awesome equipment for not only just Wi-Fi, sometimes they do IoT gear, you know, locks and webcams and all kinds of fun stuff like that. Well, guess what? They released some information today. They sent out an email today about... Uh, They said they were recently became aware of unauthorized access to certain parts of our information technology systems hosted by a third-party cloud provider. And they are basically saying that they are encouraging everyone to change their passwords and also set up multi-factor. Now, this really only applies if you use uh, their primary domain, which is ui.com. If you use UI.com to manage all of your Ubiquity equipment, that is where they're saying that you need to go out and change your password and turn on MFA if you haven't already. So heads up there if you use any kind of Ubiquity gear, go out there and change your password. Um, And if you've already got MFA, kudos to you. But if not, go ahead and get it turned on. As with everything, I would always... Always highly recommend two-factor for any kind of access to network equipment. If you don't already have that set up, I mean, it's to me, that's kind of a no-brainer. But I know it's overlooked oftentimes. And the interesting thing about Ubiquity is you can control all your equipment through UI.com, which is very convenient, right? Super convenient. However, when, (laughs) when stuff like this happens, it's not so great. You now have to worry about you know did somebody access something they weren't supposed to did they make a change they weren't supposed to now ubiquity did say they're they're currently not aware of any evidence of access to any databases that host user data but they cannot be certain that user data has not been exposed Uh, this data could include your name email address and the one-way encrypted password to your account They did say that the passwords are hashed and salted. So that's good. Um, And they also say the data could also include your address and phone number if you have provided that to them. So here's yet another example of why when you set up these kinds of things, don't give them any kind of real information. Uh, I can't stress that enough. I mean, these breaches happen to everybody and uh, I just saw an article about the app uh, Parler that got really popular for all the political stuff. AWS is taking them down. Um, and now some security researchers uh, claim that they've downloaded a huge, huge data set of Parler data, apparently. And it's it's something to the tune of 70 terabytes of parlor data i didn't sign up for parlor thankfully but it just goes to show i mean when you're signing up for these things if you don't have to give your real information don't give it out at all period ever (laughs) you know if nothing else go get yourself a po box and a physical address to the po box you can pay i think it's 10 bucks extra for the physical address for your P.O. box. That way, if you're signing up for something and they say, we need your physical address, we don't accept a P.O. box. Well, you can still give them your P.O. box address, but you're just using the street address of the uh, USPS office uh, where your P.O. box is located. And it's like 10 bucks extra, you know, for the year. Uh, Well worth it if you're Trying to protect your privacy and your personal information, uh, but don't even give out your real name either. I mean, if you don't have to give this PO box, don't even do that. Just give some random address. I mean, they don't. Ubiquity doesn't need your home address. They don't need your business address. They don't need your name. All you're doing is you're managing your gear through their equipment or through their their um, cloud platform, I should say. So why do they need your real name? Why do they need your real address? They don't. So your email address is one thing. Um, if you can give them a burner address, obviously that's ideal. But if you're using this in the corporate world, I get it. You probably got to tie it to your corporate email address. So, But either way, try not to give out your, your real information there, if at all possible. And there's just so many different ways that, that this information gets leaked. I mean, Parler, 70 terabytes. Wow. I mean, I haven't looked at all the details of this article, but that is a crap ton of of data there that uh, security researchers have already found. So it is always happening and you really have to be very proactive with your personal information and try to never give out the real information ever if you possibly can. I know it's hard. It's very hard to do. And if it's your bank or something like that, yeah, you're you're pretty much going to have to give them your real information. You know, if you're signing up for utilities, you know, you're probably going to have to give them your real information. Although, there are ways to sign up for utilities with a, an LLC or a trust and you can do it anonymously for the most part. So, there are other ways around that if you need to go that route. But you know, in certain circumstances, you have to give that information out. But even then, try to give them a PO box. <laughs> try to give them, you know, some sort of address that's not your actual address. Uh, give them a burner. Always give them a burner phone number that's a VoIP number of some sort that you can still check and receive messages on, but it's not your actual, real cell phone number. You know, all those things. I've I've said that many a times before, but. I think all these breaches and leaks just reinforce that so much every time I see these. And uh people wonder why there's all these scams going on. Well, 70 terabytes of of data that just gets leaked from Parler. Uh who knows, you know, how much information in there can be used for scammers and spammers and everybody else to try to trick people. So, yeah, you got to protect yourself. You got to be proactive. Got to give out fake information. Uh also, too, when you're, when you're uh, I'm not sure you've, if you've ever heard of this, but when you're making payments online for anything, I highly, highly recommend. There's two different services you can use. One of them is called Blur, B-L-U-R. Um, and actually, I think they were rebranded recently to something else. And I need to look that up. Uh, but Blur is one of them where you can basically use masked credit cards uh, and privacy.com is the second one uh privacy.com is free and to me privacy.com has been a little easier to use um blur also has a lot of other features to it uh, it's not just the masked credit cards they do password management they do they have a service called delete me i think it is where it'll basically go out and try to remove your personal information um so anyway, there's there's lots of things out there like that, but those are the two that I like to use. Uh, Blur got renamed to Abine, abin is their website. If you want to check them out, it's, a. I hope I'm saying the name right, Abine Blur, but uh, they, they do password management, privacy, um, the service called Delete Me that goes out on all these, you know, public data sets and tries to get your information removed. And that way you don't have to go out there and manually do it yourself. Uh, I believe Blur also has a free tier as well. Um, So you can use it up to a certain amount. And privacy.com, from what I've seen, has been completely free. And I haven't had to pay for anything. I think with Blur, uh, when you want to pay for... Or or, excuse me, their, their pay plan is basically a where you get added features like the password management um, and things like that. So it depends on how far down the road you want to go there. But the quick, easy, free service uh, is privacy.com. So, uh, so Abine, A-B-I-N-E.com and privacy.com. Check those out for just protecting your personal information. The great thing about these, going back to what I was talking about with your personal information, when you're paying for something online and it asks for you know, your billing address and your billing name and all these things with privacy.com you can fill in anything for the billing address and it'll take it it is hilarious i mean you can put in all kinds of fake names um, i like to do kind of play on words uh, the name i've been using a lot lately is phil mccracken uh, that's probably one of my favorites but you can do all kinds of fun stuff like that and just use any information in there you want as the billing information and it will take it so use that as well, uh, because those credit card companies, when they're processing these payments, they look at that information, and that information gets leaked and breached and all kinds of stuff too. So, you know, you really got to protect yourself on all different angles, and it's it's never-ending, it seems like. But either way, check out those if you haven't already looked into those services, if you don't already use them. Highly recommend uh, either one of those for additional privacy there but crazy to see all these data breaches and leaks and of course it's it's just getting more and more and more and uh to to go back to the solar winds hack i forgot to mention too that they were there was some news about the way that they were exfiltrating the data they were using dns requests i believe it was something crazy like that so you know i'm thinking about you know all the outbound traffic and and blocking all that stuff, and if they're sending it over DNS, that's it. That would have been tough to pick up, very tough to pick up. So, anyway, there's a lot of a lot of angles to that story, and uh, I'm sure there's more to come there. But two different forms of malware embedded into that code, and they're exfilling data over DNS. <laughs> I'd say it's pretty sophisticated, don't you? Yeah. But uh, anyway, so one other thing I wanted to touch on briefly. With uh, in the cybersecurity realm is private keys for your cloud environments. Now, this is this is something I've been looking into because it's very interesting to me that you know if you use Office 365, uh, Microsoft basically holds the encryption keys for you to all of your data, and that's great and all, but for real security you you ideally you want to change those those keys those encryption keys and you want to have control of those but it gets very tricky if microsoft has some sort of issue major issue where they need to restore a bunch of data and you maintain the keys for you know decrypting and encrypting the data Uh, that can get a little hairy um but I've been looking into, and I don't have any solid answers on it yet. It's just something I'm very much interested in because you know everybody's moving to cloud-based architecture, and really, if if you allow that cloud vendor to maintain the keys, and they get breached, potentially your data could also be breached because you know if those keys get get breached or leaked somehow by that cloud vendor then hackers could get access to your data. So what I'm looking at is with various cloud vendors that that allow it at least, not all of them do either. This is kind of the other tricky part is not all of them will allow you to change those private keys uh, for encrypting and decrypting your data. And if they don't encrypt your data, you should probably not use that cloud vendor to begin with. So I think that's kind of a duh, right? But uh, if you call them up and ask them about this and they say, well, we don't really encrypt the data, then um, yeah, you might want to look elsewhere. But it's interesting because it's it can be very, very tricky to manage all those private keys, but uh, it can certainly enhance the security of your data even more and still allow it to be hosted at that cloud vendor. So that's kind of the benefit there. You get even more security and... You're basically locking out the cloud vendor from being able to see your data, which to me is great for the privacy aspect. But you know, for businesses, that's not really that big of a deal. But you know, you're you're locking it out to where you you encrypt the data with your private keys, and that cloud vendor cannot see your data, which is great. We're all shooting for zero knowledge uh, cloud providers if you can get to that. And maintaining the keys for those cloud-based systems would get you there. So I'm looking into that a little more, just an idea that I've been uh, toying around with. And I think it's something that if you haven't looked into that yet, you might want to start and see what it would take to, to get control over those private keys for all that cloud-based data and control, that, control those keys yourself. Uh, rather than allowing that cloud vendor to to own that process for you. So just something to think about. And if you don't host anything in the cloud, you don't have to worry about this. So that's, that's uh, good on you. But for the majority of us that do have a lot of cloud-based stuff, uh, this is something you should definitely take a look at. It's up to you whether or not you want to do it. It does seem a little scary to me, at least just initially. But I see a lot of benefits to it. And... I'm going to try to make it happen uh, if I can. And as uh, long as I can store those keys in a secure method and not lose the keys and all that good stuff. So there's a lot of what ifs there, but certainly something I'm checking into as well. All right, so let's jump over to cryptocurrency. And if you haven't been watching and you're living under a rock still with crypto, Bitcoin got all the way up to, I want to say, $41,000 for one single Bitcoin. That is crazy money. If you would have bought Bitcoin in March when it was around 3000 bucks, you would have just bought one and you sold at 41000 You would have made a ton of money there. And boy, do I wish I'd bought more. <laughs> but who would have thought that Bitcoin would go this high? Uh, it has since fallen off a little bit. Uh, it went back down to, I think we touched thirty-one or thirty thousand earlier today. But you know who knows what's in store next. It could tank all the way back down to three thousand again. <laughs> There's really no telling. But certainly been a fun ride to to watch, and uh, it's crazy the the fact that it's gone up so high. I knew there was there was a correction coming and uh it just kept going and going and going and going and going and finally we got our correction today so much needed I think on the correction side and hopefully it does go back up a little bit more but we shall see if we hit another all-time high but 41,000 is pretty damn good if you ask me Ethereum also kind of rode those waves as well and th- this is typically what happens uh, but last time Bitcoin got up to twenty, what is it, twenty thousand, twenty one thousand, back in two thousand and seventeen. Ethereum hit, I want to say, somewhere in the two thousands. But Ethereum is still kind of lackluster. We hit uh, almost thirteen hundred, and now we're floating around eleven hundred, twelve hundred, ish. So Ethereum certainly hasn't gone as high as as I would have expected it to. Uh, especially with bitcoin going as high as it did typically the altcoins follow right along but i do still expect ethereum to do to keep doing well especially if bitcoin uh, keeps doing well so and ethereum 2.0 is still on the horizon i think they had some delays due to covid as well but it is still on the horizon where they're going to move to proof of stake pretty soon so I suspect when that happens, we'll see a little price jump as well. But there's really no firm date on Ethereum 2.0. They keep saying it's going to be soon, and then they push it. So I'm not holding my breath. But uh, I do expect it to happen sometime in 2021. If you're a fan of Ripple, I am sorry. We saw them go up pretty high when they had the uh, Spark token uh, airdrop. Back on December the I think it was December the fifth, something like that. The price of Ripple went up to around uh, I want to say uh, sixty-five cents or maybe even seventy cents from its very stagnant thirty to thirty-two cents that it had been at for so long. And Ripple came in, came under fire, and they're now being sued. I uh, believe it's by the SEC and blah 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 and their price tanked and a bunch of exchanges have delisted ripple so you can't even trade ripple anymore uh, on a lot of the big name exchanges coinbase pro included in that so a lot of exchanges are delisting the ability to trade ripple Uh, so pretty pretty big blow to to ripple and with that spark token that came out i didn't really read too much about it um but it did make the price jump up quite a bit and then as soon as that spark token airdrop happened the price started going back down next thing we know they're being sued (laughs) by the sec and the price just tanks even further so they were back down around their 30 you know 25 to 30 cent range uh today so we'll see what happens with ripple long term uh, certainly unfortunate to see that happen to them. I was a big proponent of Ripple, and now it just looks like there's really no end in sight for their their price just continuing to tank. And I'm not really sure I'm going to continue investing in Ripple personally, um, at this point especially. But we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens with that lawsuit. But as of right now, most people are losing faith in Ripple if you haven't been on coinbase in a while they have listed a ton of new tokens and coins and it has been crazy to watch uh, all the new listings on coinbase they've got um, algorand hydera hashgraph uh, they've got kyber network MakerDAO, compound chainlink cosmos uh, Band protocol, Celo, Yearn Finance, Uniswap. Uh, there's tons on here that they've got now. Filecoin is another one that they recently listed, and a lot of those are part of the DeFi boom that has been happening. And if you're not familiar with that, it's the decentralized finance boom, where they're basically taking advantage of the Ethereum blockchain and releasing tokens on it and Uh, doing lending and things like that with that uh, with those tokens so it has been crazy to watch the DeFi boom and it kind of has leveled off now there was a lot of projects that were also just big scams and you know it was really um, unfortunate to see that happen but that's kind of what you get in the crypto space but some of of these DeFi coins have stood the test of time thus far and uh yearn.finance if you haven't looked at that the price on that one's 30,000 so that's quite a bit for just that one but most of the others are in the you know 20 to $100 range uh most of them being right around 20 maybe less than 20 bucks uh per so either way it's still interesting to see all these new listings on coinbase and and getting to Try to understand what all these are. Personally, I haven't been really... I mean, if you jumped into it early, you probably made a ton of money on the DeFi boom. Um, at this stage of the game, though, since it's leveled off quite a bit, um, I don't think there's quite the opportunity that there was when this this all very first kicked off. Either way, interesting and cool stuff to check out. Uh, if you haven't already, you can get on Coinbase. They got the Coinbase Earn... Um, where you basically earn free crypto and you know learn about the various cryptos that they've listed Um, I just looked at it right now they've got a new one on there called The Graph I've never even heard of this uh, crypto before but you can watch videos and earn free crypto on that and um, learn about all these DeFi uh, tokens that are out there right now so check that out if you haven't already. Alright this was a long podcast so I'm going to cut it short right here but i want to thank everybody for listening and we will talk again soon